This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, Episode 223, How They're Stealing Your Pension Even If You Don't Have One, with Chris Toby. Traditional financial planning is no longer working. And in the new normal economy, your host, certified financial planner Mark Willis, invites you to join us as we engage the new and improved steps for establishing financial sanity. Be curious, be stable, be sane. This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast. I'm so glad you're part of the revolution with me. And this week, we're going to be unpacking something that typically uh, I don't think is talked about much on the news. Even if you don't have a pension, I want you to stick with me throughout this entire episode. The interview was unbelievably enlightening, and it brought some fresh perspective to the corruption, the true corruption happening uh, in the major markets of pension investments and overall investments in, in Wall Street and beyond. The topic of our conversation really spans from those that have a pension to all the rest of us taxpayers who are helping to pay for that pension. So I want to be very clear, even if you don't have a pension in your retirement plan, if you're not a firefighter, teacher, police officer, etc., you are very much involved in today's episode and the content that Chris Toby will be bringing to us today impacts you dramatically. It could be that there's a, a silver lining to all this. So I want you to stick with us to the end so we can discuss some strategies. So again, our guest today, Chris Toby, he's a certified financial analyst. He works as a pension investment consultant, an expert witness, and an author. His most recent book is Kentucky Fried Pensions. Boy, what a book title. That's awesome. He's now working as a chief investment officer with a public pension consulting firm out of New Orleans, the Hackett Group, which has provided project consulting to a number of public pensions in Maryland, North Carolina, and Texas. From 2008 to 2012, he served as a trustee and on the investment and audit committees for the $14 billion Kentucky retirement system. From 2008 to 9, he was a senior consultant with the New England Pension Consultants and worked with a number of public pensions in Oklahoma, Missouri, Michigan, and Washington, D.C., and was the former VP of 401k investments with Aegon from 2001 to 2008. Chris has written four books, dozens of articles, and has been quoted in the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Forbes, and Bloomberg. As a public pension trustee, he completed the program for the advanced trustee studies at Harvard Law School and Fiduciary College held at the Stanford University. A wonderful client sent me an article written by Chris describing how woefully underfunded and the lack of transparency baked into the Chicago Police Pension Fund. And I think you're going to love this conversation. And it breaks open a lot of the shielded conversations that I hear in the back rooms of many pension offices. So take it away, Chris. Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you. Chris, so take us right into the boardroom. Sounds like you were there to ask some questions and just describe what boardroom are we talking about? What were you there to do and what happened? Well, in 2008, I was appointed to be a trustee of the Kentucky Retirement Systems, which is it's like a $15 billion you know, large system for state employees in Kentucky. And uh, I had done some work for, prior for the auditor's office and had been critical and was put on the board as a kind of a watchdog. But I was very much treated as a pariah from the day that I got on the, on the board. 
I started asking questions about investments uh, and different things that are involved uh, w- with, with the system. And uh, at one time, they actually made me leave the room because they thought I would tell too much to the media, kick me out of the boardroom. And so then I started getting on the phone and they could, could tell that I was either talking to media or you know the attorney general's office or something. And then they let me back in because they knew it was illegal to do so. Later on, a couple of years from there, after I had talked to the media, they actually, uh, I was the only investment professional and they kicked me off the investment committee of the board. Even though they couldn't technically kick me off the board itself, they kicked me off the investment committee so they could keep hiding some of these excessive fees and, and things going on there. So it was just a lot of back and forth wow. like that for my for my four years on the board. And I was not reappointed to the board by the governor. So you've been exploring and exposing pensions and 401k plans and their excessive fees and their you know, lack of transparency and they're just underperformance in terms of their investment yield and how underfunded they all are. Where do we begin? Uh, I mean, just where did all this start? Why did you decide to pursue this as a, a line of work? I worked my first 10 years in, in, in my career at a bank trust department. I don't know if people remember that. I'm, I'm old, um, you know, that would be back in the 80s and 90s. And we had a pretty low fee type of transparent uh, uh, process there. So I was kind of brought up in that. And then I went to work for the, uh, the Kentucky State Auditor in the late 90s. Um, and then when I went there, I um, started looking at the pension fees. So, you know, that, this was way prior to me being on the board itself. So I was involved in that. And then I went and worked for some consulting firms and the pension for a while. And then kind of got into this probably full, full time after I, I left the board of Kentucky Retirement Systems. And I wrote a book about it called uh, Kentucky Fried Pensions. Which is maybe the greatest financial book title I've ever heard, by the way. So congratulations on that. What were some of your findings in Kentucky Fried Pensions? It was just a constant level of, you know, conflicts of interest, excessive fees, secret no-bid contracts. No. What do you mean by no-bid contracts? Explain that for our listeners. So historically, governments over the years, I mean, since the Civil War, have bid out contracts. So you go out and you try to, you have a, what sometimes they call an RFP process, and you go with the lowest provider. You know, you do it with roads, you do it with the building, you do it for all these type of things. And for years, most pension plans did it with their investment selection. They would have a stock manager, a bond manager, they'd go through an RFP process. But about maybe 15, 10, 15 years ago, the private equity and hedge fund industry started to say, well, our, our products are so special, they, you don't need to do RFPs or bidding for them. And they're so secretive that we have to put in these secret no-bid contracts that no one can see. So that, when that started, they started these, you know, these contracts started, became excessive fees. When I asked for the contracts as a trustee, they would not allow me to even see the contracts as a trustee. What? Wow. That is nuts. So you're, well, you're having to serve as a trustee and yet you can't even see the contracts. Yes. And this is still going on right now. Some of the Ohio trustees are trying to get a look at those contracts as well and are not being allowed to see them. And I think, we, you know, this is tax dollars at work. You should not have secret no-bid contracts when tax dollars are involved. You've, you've said some crazy things about pensions and the excessive fees and mm-hmm. kind of the underhandedly way they set up contracts. What is the craziest thing you've seen in your research and, and review of some of these pensions? 
oh, there's just so much that you just can't begin. I mean, a lot of these investment managers, they'll even be fined by the SEC, but the public pensions don't care. They go ahead and, and they'll re-up with the same, the same firm that was fined from the SEC for excessive fees. And they'll go back to that same firm and, and, and invest with them again. You know, the, the, the retirement system lawsuits, a lot of them have fallen on their face. In, in Kentucky, uh, the retirement systems hired the firm of the judge's son, paid him over a million dollars, and the judge pretty much ignored all the investment facts in the case and dismissed the case. That is criminal. I don't know what other word to use, Chris, but that is criminal. So yeah. the judge's son gets hired, gets paid a million bucks. He dismisses the case. What else can we say but corruption about that? And that's just unfathomable to me. Who's the one on the dole and who's the one who's having to pay, right? It's the taxpayer the that has to pay. One to sell, yeah. Wow. So it's, it's just a lot. A lot of this has, to, in my opinion, it's hard to prove, has to do with Citizens United, which is the one that allowed a lot of secret, secretive campaign contributions through what we call dark money and areas like that. And Wall Street, the, especially the private equity hedge funds, have found ways to funnel dark money into governors, into state legislative uh, leadership packs, into those areas, which I think is the reason why they're getting a lot of these secret no bid contracts is because of the donations, secret donations are flowing from Wall Street into the state level uh, type of super PACs and dark money. That's my that's that's my conclusion. It's hard to prove mm. because you can't prove something you're not allowed to see. Well, that's well well said. Yeah, boy, I never would have made the connection with Citizens United and these no bid contracts, but I see your point. And there's a motivation. There's a there's a financial motivation there, isn't there? But oh, who's yeah. who's on the short end of the stick? I guess the pensioners and us taxpayers. Well, talk taxpayers, about that. Some taxpayers first of all, because remember, the uh, the pensioners don't get cut until you know they're out of money and don't get the check. But the costs that are being inflexed all around are always being borne by the taxpayers. And that's one of the things that people don't, you know, people, people always says, well, it's the pensioners who should be the only people concerned with public pensions. <laughs> no, taxpayers, you all pay, a, uh, taxpayers, we all pay a much bigger uh, cut of this corruption. Uh, and the, the pensioners don't get hit till the very end. They get hit very hard at the very end. But from this whole process, it's the taxpayers you're losing out. So how so? Is it our taxes are higher? We'd have lower taxes if this all wasn't going on. Is that what you're saying? We, if this was not going on, we'd have we'd have higher performance. You'd have less smaller contributions into the pensions, mm. which are you know lower expenditures. Okay, so because they are um, they are underperforming in their pension fund and they're by the, overpaying by the, by the amount of fees, not just yeah. doesn't matter what the investments are, but the amount of fees that yeah. the performance drag from the fees themselves. Well, yeah, you, you mentioned in your article, Truth in Accounting, uh, which I believe is, is that uh, a website, right? Truthinaccounting.org, I believe. Yeah, and they're, and they're an organization out of Chicago. Yeah, uh, yeah they're a nonprofit. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they say 200 basis point fees uh, cost at least 30 million a year. But you said through an Oxford study, you assume the fees and expenses for alternative managers at 500 basis points, which could be more like 70 million a year. This is just one pension, one department in Chicago, the Chicago Policeman's Annuity and Benefit Fund. That's 70 million a year just for Chicago taxpayers. Now you expand that out to the statewide or the region or the country. 
And there's a number of different pensions that you and I and everyone listening to this, if you're a United States taxpayer, that you're having to cough up money for these excessive fees, you are funding the and lining the pockets of these investment managers, pension fund managers, with no oversight and no transparency. Is that a fair summary of what we've said so far, Chris? It is. And, and you know, so Pennsylvania is ground zero right now. Joe Torricell, the treasurer of Pennsylvania, brought in the Oxford professor, Ludo Filippo. I'm probably mispronouncing his name, but Ludo uh, came in, I think he actually came in at 600 basis points, and that started the ball rolling in Pennsylvania. And now both the FBI and SEC are investigating Pennsylvania. And just Friday, the uh, executive director and chief investment officer both resigned in Pennsylvania. This is Friday, and we're recording this uh, late November. So this would have been just last week, huh? Uh, like November, whatever, 18th or so? Yeah, correct. Wow. Wow. So you're hot off the presses here, Chris. Okay. So we've talked about fees. Tell me more. And you've talked some about lack of transparency, where some of these investments can be done with no bid contracts. When I read the article, uh, which we'll put in the show notes here for folks that want to read it, and this is for the Chicago Police Officers Pension Fund that's been woefully underfunded. And in mm-hmm. fact, you mentioned the ratio, the funding is only 23% of what it should be funded at. Is that correct? That's correct. But, and it was 61% it, yeah. in 2003. It's now 23% today. Correct. But I separate, the underfunding is a lot of a function of just the, the city budgeting versus the investment fees. They, they can be related, but they really are separate issues. And, and people start really mix them up and confuse them. So for example, there's only one fund worse funded uh, than the Chicago plans in the country. That was one of the Kentucky plans. And I was a trustee of that plan. So I'm very familiar with the underfunding, but again, Pennsylvania and Ohio, uh, which is another one that's in, in the spotlight now, you know, they're not as underfunded, but they actually are losing more on the investment fee part uh, of the equation. It's just that their legislature has given a percentage. So what was done in Chicago and Kentucky was that the in Chicago, the mayor, they made partial payments. It's kind of like when you make a, a partial payment on a pension, what we, we call it the ARC, the actuarial required contribution, it's kind of like making a partial payment on your credit card because the, the interest accumulates at the rate of return assumption of the pension, which is usually 7 8%. So it's the equivalent of a municipal government borrowing on credit cards is to underfund their pension. And a lot of them have done that instead of, you know, the budget prices, they've said, well, I'm just going to, uh, you know, I can only borrow so much because most municipalities can't, can't go into deficit. So one of the ways they play the game to borrow money is to underfund their pension, which is kind of like just making the partial payment on your credit card. We've got a couple of people who are in the oven and don't even realize it yet. It's around Thanksgiving as we're describing this. So I'm thinking about turkeys in the oven. Uh, but but us turkeys are the taxpayers. You've explained that clearly, Chris. But there's some other turkeys, and that's the uh, pensioners. You said that they wouldn't notice until the end. Can you tell me what is it going to be like uh, when pensioners are expecting a full pension and then end up with it could be as low as 23% of what they expected to get? Talk us through that. Is that am I understanding that correctly? That's theoretically right, but we've never been there before. You know, so you know, we don't really know what happens when a, a pension goes down. But one thing that has happened recently is that a lot of pensions had cost COLAs or, or cost of living increases like Social Security. And most of them have not gotten COLAs for years. And that's really what's driving a bunch of teachers in Ohio to become very upset. They want to get their COLA back 
uh, the cost of living increased on their pension. So this is where but, they might make, uh, you know, they might make 2000 bucks this month, each month from their pension. They want to get uh, 20, 2100 bucks next year or whatever, yeah. you know, there's an increase there. Correct. To catch up with the cost of living. Now, the moment of if a pension would ever go under. So we've really had one. The one test we had was a Detroit bankruptcy. And so what happened in the Detroit bankruptcy is both of the funds were actually pretty well funded in Detroit. And what happened, the police was so well funded, they did not have, take a haircut at all in the, uh, in the bankruptcy. The general employees, it was about 70% funded, and they took like a 5% haircut. So they got 95 cents on the dollar in the Detroit bankruptcy. The next city that's most likely to go to municipal bankruptcy could be Chicago. But Chicago, on the other hand, has much lower funded pensions. I mean, police are 23. A lot of the other, they have five pensions. They're all in that 20s, 30, you know, they're all very, very lowly funded. And it's hard to know in bankruptcy, are these people going to get 80 cents on the dollar, 60 cents, 40? It's hard. You just don't know until you get into the bankruptcy process. Wow. So it's a lot of uncertainty there. Most likely they're not going to get zero. Uh, most likely they'll get more than 23, but it, it could easily be a significant haircut for them. Now, Chris, a lot of pensioners listening do not live in Chicago. Could you talk to us about Social Security and its underfunding? Could you talk to us about sort of the risks that you see as you evaluate the landscape writ large? Because the government can print money, you know, I see Social Security as far less risky than uh, a public pension because states can file bankruptcy. So a lot of people like to make a big deal. I am one of the people who think Social Security is by far the, the least risky uh, uh, thing out there today. But that's well, you're, you're right. Um, you're right. When when you can print money, uh, you can basically deliver on any promise you want to deliver on. The only question is, what's the value going to be in the hands of those recipients, right? Uh, I'm thinking of Weimar style you know, inflation here where folks will maybe carry around a wheelbarrow full of their social security payments uh, to grab that loaf of bread. And yeah. <laughs> folks, folks might steal the wheelbarrow keep the, and leave the money on the, on the ground. That's um, possible. But if we're in that kind of shape, my insurance, <laughs> my, my state governments are already, uh, already been gone for five years and my insurance company's already gone under too. That's right. So, you're right. So. Well, you're right. So the state governor, <laughs> uh, the state pensions, the, the uh, local pensions, those are the ones that really have the trouble because they cannot print money Unless they are the federal government, there's no uh, ability to print money uh, in Chicago or Kentucky or Detroit or anywhere else, CalPERS, you know, wherever you live, uh, you have that risk if you have a, uh, a pension and you're under that thumb of the tax increases uh, and, and current tax rates due to all of this mismanagement. Chris, is that, is that all correct? There is one technicality I want to go to because right now states cannot declare bankruptcy because of the way our constitution's designed. They're almost like their own sovereigns. So states can't declare bankruptcies, but cities can. Mm -hmm. So we've got a you're much likely to see a bankruptcy way with, with, with let's say Chicago or, you know, or, or Detroit with states, it's more, uh, you know, well, Illinois kind of tried to print their own money. I don't know if you all remember, they did some IOUs to vendors for a while. I didn't notice. Is, yeah. That was the closest thing to printing money I've seen. And uh, but states have, uh, you know, uh, have more more different issues in cities, uh, counties and municipalities. It's a little different mechanism. Fascinating. For I think there's a 
couple of a couple of other topics that I'd like to cover briefly as we wrap up here. Uh, we've been describing the costs and the lack of transparency on pensions. And I'd like to spend a few minutes anyway, understanding how you view um, defined contribution plans. So that would be your 401ks and your IRAs. You've done some research there as well, Chris. What have you found? What are some of your insights having done research on the you know, fees and exposure to risk of direct uh, defined contribution plans like 401ks? Yeah, I've done a lot of work in there, especially, you know, in 401k plans, of course, target date funds, which are tending to bundle, put a higher fee and even some uh, alternatives like private equity hedge funds uh, buried inside of target date funds uh, in 401k. So those are the big, the themes that I'm, that I'm seeing. Now, most people look at their target date fund and they think that they look up, maybe they go to the FINRA fund analyzer if they really want to, or maybe they just read their prospectus or maybe they, if they do, or they look at their account statement online and they say, your fees were and then it reads some very small number, 300 bucks this year, 400 bucks. Mm. But you're saying these are excessive fees. Can you just, can you help me with that disparity there? Well, it depends. So much is sizing in, in, in this market, you know, for when somebody has 50,000, $100,000, the fees that, that, you know, percentage fees of 1% aren't huge, but when you start getting bigger, bigger amounts, you know, there's so much scale in fees. And so, um, you know, it's, it's relative to that. Again, I've tried to be in this business as well. And it's very, very difficult with smaller accounts on the fee side to get more reasonable fees, just because it just, there's a certain amount of time that it takes uh, advisor or something to work with you. And they have to make a, almost a set fixed amount of money. So that's mm -hmm. part of the issue. I'm sure that you, you, you deal with it you know, on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, and I'm, I'm remembering too, there's, a, let me give an example of, of sort of how fees are baked in, especially on variable annuities. This has been my experience anyway, researching this. Uh, so let's say that your average mutual funds that you might have in a 401k, uh, which include your expense ratio fee, the transaction costs, any soft dollar costs, a cash drag, sales charges, any 12B1 fees you might have, all of that might average, according to Forbes, uh, uh, 3.1% of all of your contributions on all of your account value. So that's 3,100 bucks per year on every $100,000 you have in a 401k. That's not going to be disclosed to you, at least not on your front page of your account statement uh, or on your online balance sheet. You know, They might say 300 bucks on your target date fund, but that's not the only fee. It's sort yeah. of like saying, it's sort of like saying you bought a five course meal and here's how much the French fries were, but they don't mention all the other fees. Is that a fair you know, evaluation. Oh it's yeah, it's a, fair. And it's just, we're, we're cracking the icebox. I, I got some yeah. kind of, there was some kind of um, uh, material that I got that was real old before all the fee litigation came out was from the mutual fund association, which showed like 120 ways for a mutual fund to make money and fees. Wow. Okay. I mean, it's just that amount. Now, of course they've since destroyed, they don't have it out there anymore, but I've got, it's just very interesting that there's just so many, there's just an unlimited amount of fees. And when you get a variable annuity, that means that you put this, these, these investment assets up on the balance sheet of the insurance company. And the insurance company can make extra money kind of spread using that for spread, using it for, you know, on their taxes. Sure. There's all kinds yeah. of different ways. And there's a reason they do that. They would prefer variable annuity than mutual fund. 
is because they can make another, I'm, I'm thinking maybe a hundred basis points, just squeezing mm-hmm. out stuff um, by having it on that platform and the incremental risk to person buying it. They just don't notice it. They just don't notice that there, you know, there, there's a little more risk because it is very, you know, incremental. Well, that's right. You're right. There's a, uh, a study, recent study that says the average mortality expense on a variable annuity is 1.35% on average. And then there's an administrative cost for every variable annuity. That's another quarter of a percent. So altogether, guys, if you're doing the math there, that's 3.1% on your mutual funds, plus another 1.6%. That's 4.7% per year fees. That's $4,700 for every 100 grand you put into a variable annuity inside your 401k. We haven't even talked about taxes yet. And that's coming off all the top of your money before you make a dime. So if say this another way, if, if your fund in your variable annuity earned 4.7%, you still didn't make a penny. That's, that's uh, sort of the bottom line numbers, Chris, is that? Well, and what I'm saying is that that would be like the mutual fund. If if they go, they make an additional money, but they make you take additional risk that you uncompensated risk. Mm, It's worth another a hundred basis points to them on top of that. It's not coming directly out of your pocket, but it's an uncompensated risk that you should be paying hundred basis points for that. They, they, they kind of get by changing it into that variable annuity form. So, okay, as we're wrapping up, I want you to grab the Pope's wand or any magic wand, let's say, and and you could just paint your valued, perfect vision of the future. Mm-hmm. What changes would you make for a perfect financial future that would solve some of the issues that you report on? Well, it all comes out of the full transparency, that you've got full transparency of fees. You've got people taking fiduciary duty, saying as a fiduciary, this is my this is the full amount of fees and profit we're making in this account. For uh, the public pensions, I would like them to be subject to ERISA, the same rules that our corporate pensions are. Uh, they are they have exempted themselves from uh, from federal pension law, uh, you know, and, and can get away with a lot more than a corporate pension can now. So those are the things I would wave the wand. And of course, the Pope is one of my favorites, and he has done a lot of work on financial transparency. He actually did something on that. I don't know if you've seen it, but he actually- I, I had no idea. You got to tell me. Yeah, I, I was I was not aware. What has he done for financial yeah. transparency? He did something talking about, I mean, you know, this, some social justice things, but he was talking about offshore accounts and all the problems of that and financial transparency. Now, he's had his own problems of his own Vatican Bank doing that type of thing, but he's been, they, they actually put something out on that. Uh, the Pope did uh, a year ago. That was pretty good. Well, guys, you heard it here first, Chris. Uh, thank you so much for coming on our show and uh, sort of unpacking this, I think, secret part of the financial universe that all of us are negatively impacted by, whether as a taxpayer or as a pensioner or anybody with a 401k. So Chris, you're, you're uh, enlightening. And I think speaking truth to power is important. So keep up the great work and thank you for all you do. Well, thank you for having me. Well, thank you again, Chris, for coming on the show today and for sharing some of your true insights and the research you've done, the investigations you've done, both as an author, a writer, but also as a member of many of the boardrooms, having the conversations and as a trustee uh, for some of these pension retirement systems uh, from Kentucky to Oklahoma, to Missouri, to Michigan, to Illinois, the list goes on and on, guys, no matter if you live in those states or don't. 
uh, you are likely contributing to somebody else's pension plan. And the question is, how many hands are in that cookie jar? How many people are taking theirs out of grandma and grandpa's pension? And how much higher are your taxes as a result? That was one of the big takeaways I got from my conversation with Chris. Another big takeaway was that the fees that they report on your 401k are not all of the expenses baked into that same 401k. Sort of like a five-course meal, but you're only shown the bill for the French fries. Uh, they don't show you all the other fees and expenses, but they certainly are being taken out of your 401k uh, over the years. And according to the Department of Labor, a fee of only just 1% over 30 years can gobble up over a third of one's nest egg. That's according to the Department of Labor. So if your fees are even uh, half of, of, of that, that's still way too much money gone to fees. And Chris maintains that it's much more than just 1% on the average 401k baked in with target date funds, riddling it with fees. So that was another big takeaway I took from Chris. Uh, the main thing I guess I want to also say, as a, in addition to saying thank you to Chris, is guys, do your own research. Look into this yourself. Ask yourself if your local pensions are being properly maintained, funded, are they clear and transparent? Do they pay an adequate wage to the people who are investing them? There's so much corruption in the investment space and the financial industry that we have to push back against it. We have to be willing to stand up, whether it's your local school board or in your state Supreme Court, whatever it might need to be. You know, so take this information, do your own research, read Chris's articles and others, and find out what's true in your area. So with all that in mind, it's important to realize also that there are better solutions out there than relying on a municipality to pay your paycheck for life. Uh, I've seen this happen for thousands of years. I don't think pensions are going away. I don't think so. I've, I've mentioned on this podcast before, having visited a museum here in the local area, Chicago area, there's a museum showing an annuity contract from 300 BC, 300 BC. So the promise and the delivery of a guaranteed lifetime income is going to continue to happen, whether uh, it's done in the way it's done today or not. Who says, and where is it written that we have to have such corrupt investment managers and judges and legal authorities running all of our pension systems. I don't think it has to be this way. And I think Chris wants a better future just like I do. So thanks again, Chris, for coming on our show. Guys, and thank you for listening to this episode. I hope it's brought some new insight for you and hope you take action as a result because that's what we do here at Not Your Average Financial Podcast. We help you think and live differently with your money, your economy, and your future. This has been another episode of the Not Your Average Financial Podcast. To join a financial revolution and start thinking different about money, go to www.nyafinancialpodcast.com and click Request a Meeting. The topics presented in this podcast are for general information only and not for the purposes of providing legal, accounting, or investment advice. On such matters, please consult a professional who knows your specific situation.